I'd like to invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word today. In this time, in October and November, we're looking at the book of Hebrews. And so we'll begin today in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest is chosen from among men, chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, Today you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. When I was in junior high, it might have been sixth or seventh grade, my father went back to graduate school. He went to Loyola in Chicago to get his PhD. Every day, not Saturdays, but every day of the week, he'd get into our 1986 VW Jetta with his briefcase. That was when, you know, a guy would have a briefcase to go be a PhD student and not a backpack. And he would drive to Chicago from Northwest Indiana for his classes. Now, there are four kids in my family. I'm the eldest of four. My brother is the youngest. He's eight years younger. And so every day that dad would go get his PhD, Matthew would wait patiently for him to come home. And and this had been going on for maybe, I don't know, two years, when one day Matthew finally expressed this frustration that had been building up in him, and he said, when will he bring it home? Bring what home? His PhD. Every day I look in his briefcase and it's not there. He was so frustrated. You know, when people go away, sometimes we can be confused about what's going on and what they're doing, especially when we are kids or adults, but still just growing in understanding, right? You have to know what a PhD is to know that you will not find one in a briefcase. And I wonder if the early readers of this letter to the Hebrews had some questions that are a little bit parallel to Matthew's. I mean, they knew the story of Jesus. They knew about his birth and his mighty deeds and his teaching and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. 
But, you know, Jesus had said he was going to come back. And, and it didn't seem like he was coming back. In fact, they didn't really get to see Jesus. There wasn't even an empty briefcase. Where is Jesus? Why, why can't we see him? They might have wondered. He said, he said he would come back, and it would be soon. Biblical scholar T. Desmond Alexander writes about this conundrum. There are good grounds for believing that the first readers of Hebrews were troubled by what they perceived to be the invisibility and the remoteness, that means the farawayness, of Jesus Christ. Why could they not see him? Why did Jesus not continue to appear to them as he had to the earliest disciples? This is a good question. I mean, have you ever wondered why you can't see Jesus? I mean, maybe not all the time, but wouldn't it be nice if just occasionally Jesus would appear in the flesh? Maybe you've struggled with doubt or someone that you love has struggled with doubt and you've thought, man, it would would be so easy to believe if Jesus would just show up. I I mean, maybe he could just like zap in for a moment and and show me the scars on his hands and, and give me a hug and say, hey, keep at it. This is to help you know I'm real. Wouldn't that be great? I think so. And and if you think so, you are not alone. But I want to say that our text today points to the answer to this tough question. This is the the answer in short, and I'm going to unpack it in the rest of this message. Jesus is not physically with us right now because he is occupied with his ongoing work of being our high priest. Now, this is an aspect of Jesus' work in ministry we can often overlook. We talk a lot and we sing a lot about Jesus' identity as our Savior, the one who died for our sins and the one who died as sin. If you read the the Children's Storybook Bible or the Jesus Storybook Bible, it talks about how Jesus is the rescuer. We talk, I like to talk a lot about how Jesus is our king, right? But Jesus, the high priest? Have you ever prayed, dear high priest, when you pray? We don't think about this very much. But then we have to kind of backtrack and say, like, what what is a high priest? What does that even mean? So we're going to explore that today, looking at three things. So first, what's this high priest, and why is he important? Second, how is Jesus greater than the high priest? And then third, what does this mean for us today? So, high priest. Now, maybe the word priest has a little baggage for you when you think about it. Perhaps you grew up in a Roman Catholic context, and you think of the priest as the guy in a cassock and a clerical collar who hears confession and distributes the Eucharist. And then you think, well, if that's a priest, then what's a high priest? Is that like a kind of a bishop? (laughs) And then you think, well... This is what it's like to have a priest around. When the the priest is around, you better clean up your language and act real good. Uh, Our office assistant is Cassia, and she's Brazilian. And this week, she said this Brazilian adage that I have up here. I don't know how to read that. But this is what that means. You only sweep where the priest goes. The rest hides under the rug. Okay? You hide stuff from the priest. 
you pretend to be good. Let me tell you, that is not what the biblical text is talking about when it talks about priest. All this talk about high priest in Hebrews is referencing the Old Testament. So in order to know how Jesus is the great high priest, we need to know what a regular high priest is. Except there is no regular high priest. It is really great and special to be a high priest. The first high priest in scripture is Aaron, Moses' brother. In the book of Exodus, when God rescues his people from slavery, he rescues them so that they may worship him in the wilderness. And because that's God's goal is for them to worship him, he provides instructions for worship and he provides personnel to make worship possible. God chooses, he appoints men from the tribe of Levi to be priests, Aaron and his sons. Note, it said this in our text, right? God appoints them. They don't become priests by checking that off on the high school list of vocations they want to do. They don't become priests through force, like leading a war or a coup. They don't choose themselves. God appoints them, and he sets them apart. That's literally when it says God makes something holy. That means God sets apart. He sets them apart and requires ritual purification to make them holy. The initial purification for priests took seven days. Seven, you think, oh, seven, like how long it took in Genesis 1 to make the earth, right? We see these connections. So they were washed with water. They went through the water. They're anointed with oil, and, and they sacrifice animals as a representation for that purification. Then the priests are dressed in these special God-designed uniforms. A few of you were in my class this summer where I talked about what the Bible says about clothes. Well, it says a lot about clothes when it talks about the, high, the priests, and, and I taught on this, so some of this will be a review for some of you. These are very, very special uniforms. This is how we know they're special. The instructions for the uniforms are given twice in Exodus. Once when God says what they should do, and the other time when Bezalel and his team of craftsmen do them. So the uniforms are very important. Our faith ancestors took a lot of time to write these instructions down two times in the book of Exodus. So here's the design. The Aaron, the high priest, he's in the middle, he wears the most elaborate uniform. It has a white linen tunic underneath. It has a multicolored sash, a robe that at the bottom is decorated with bells and, as the Bible says, pomegranates, which is Bible for pom-poms. He has a chest panel on his chest with 12 stones on it. Each stone is engraved with one of the names of the tribes of Israel, and then he has stones on his shoulders as well, and each stone has six different names of the tribes of Israel. In wearing the names of the tribes of Israel, Aaron bears the names of all the people. Aaron represents them. He is the mediator. He represents Israel to God, and God to Israel, which allows them to sustain a harmonious relationship between God and God's people. Aaron is the intermediary. He is the go-between. That's what a priest does. 
Aaron is a representative of God's people, and he allows them to vicariously enter the holy place, the presence of God, as he sort of moves in between the courtyard where people can be and the sanctuary where they can't be. He moves in between human space and God's space. Now, there is a lot of responsibility to being a high priest. And it's tough because Aaron is, is like all of us, except we're not from the tribe of Levi, I'm guessing. But he is easily defiled by sin or ritual uncleanliness, as you or I would be. So, so every day, Aaron has to atone for his own sin by burning incense. But even by taking special steps and measures to remain holy, Aaron's not holy enough. Everybody knows it. He is not permitted to go into the inner sanctum of the tabernacle except one day a year on the Day of Atonement when he has to take off most of his fancy priest, high priest uniform and just go in in that white tunic in the presence of God where it was understood that the feet of God rested on the Ark of the Covenant. And then that Day of Atonement, Aaron will, will bring in a sacrifice, and blood is put on the ark, symbolically cleaning the sin of God's people and Aaron. This is a temporary cleaning. Blood in scripture represents life, and it has a sort of detergent quality to it. So that's what the high priest does. As the author of Hebrews said in our text, he acts on behalf of men in relation to God, and he offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. Aaron sacrificed for his own sins and the sin of the people, but Jesus can be the great high priest because he is sinless. He doesn't have to spend time atoning for himself like Aaron did. Our text reads, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. But even though he's sinless, Jesus, in his full humanity, knows what it's like to be human. He has been tempted in every way. This is really important. I think, I, I take this to mean that Jesus understands and has experienced the depths of the most strong temptation that can exist for humanity. So just a moment. I want you, in your mind, to think of the deepest temptation to sin that you have had. You do not need to share this with your neighbor. Just think. Whether you succumbed to it or not, what's your deepest, deepest temptation? So in the story of Jesus' temptation in the Gospels, Jesus wanted to do the things that he was being tempted to do. He wanted to make bread from stones. He wanted to have an easy way of being king. He wanted to get instant recognition of himself as divine as much or as more, as much or more than you wanted to do the thing you just thought about. Jesus was really, really tempted, but he did not sin. And so not only is Jesus sinless, which is necessary for his sacrificial and priestly role, Jesus understands our temptation. He understands. Now, as a pastor, 
Sometimes I sit with people who are in the midst of working through sin, and they will share their confession with me. Notice I'm not saying they confess to me, they confess to Jesus, but they share their confession with me. And I have heard some tough stuff. But as a good pastor, when someone shares their confession with you, it, it is not helpful for me to be angry or grossed out or leave or upset, right? A good pastor will mourn and grieve your sin with you and encourage correction and change and point you to Jesus, the one who reconciles us with God, because he can go between us and God as a mediator. Jesus, our true reconciler, he understands. He doesn't say, get away, you dirty loser, you bad sinner. You can't be around here because he knows what it's like. He's empathic. Our text says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So as you think of yourself in your most sinful and rebellious moments and go to the high priest Jesus, he does not yell at us. He deals with us gently. He takes our hands and our heart and he says, you can do so much better than this. Turn from that sin. Trust in me. Some of my own sin has been a lack of trust in Jesus. I know that that's not very like glamorous or, or specific, but it has been a lack of trust in Jesus. And when I have been convicted by the Spirit that I am not trusting in the Lord, I have both felt deep shame for my sin, but I have also sensed the deep, deep love of Jesus and wanting something better for me. So conviction of sin comes with shame, but it also comes as an invitation to life in Christ. So Jesus says these things to us. You can do so much better than this. Turn from sin. Trust in me. And this is really important because for Jesus to function as the high priest, it is necessary that he is both fully human fully sympathetic and understanding, and fully divine, without sin, perfect. And it's because Jesus is our high priest that he isn't here with us now, physically. He is busy doing that work. He is being the high priest. He is representing us to God. It's like he's, he's the high priest Aaron with that chest panel on, but it doesn't just have the 12 tribes of Israel's names on it. There's one that says Joy Elizabeth Lawrence. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus and if you've committed yourself to him, he is in the heavenly realm representing you to God. Your name too is written on his chest panel. There's a hymn we're going to sing in the next service, and it says, My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. Jesus represents us to God far better than we could represent ourselves, because we can't. But not only does Jesus represent us, he is praying for us. Just think about it. Jesus prays for us. We read in Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We read in Romans as well that Jesus is praying for us. Think about this. Jesus 
is praying for us to God the Father right now. That's what he's doing. I, I've been kind of meditating on this all week. I've been like, I've even prayed about it. I said, hey, Jesus, I, what does it mean that you're praying for me? And then I'm really curious. I'm like, would you tell me what you're praying for me about? <laughs> I mean, maybe he prays like he did when he was on earth, that we would be one like he and the Father are one. We don't know for sure. But I do know and trust that however and whenever Jesus prays for me, it's good. It's good. There's a few really holy human beings that I know, and and some of them will tell me, hey, I'm praying for you. And I'm like, yes, I'm sure that's a good prayer. But Jesus, Jesus, he prays for us, and he's praying for us. So that's what it means for Jesus to be our great high priest. But what does this mean for us today to worship Jesus, the high priest? I want to offer a few ways to reframe your walk with Christ in light of him being the high priest. So first, and I said this already, but Jesus is our mediary with God. Because we can't make it to God the Father on our own. We need Jesus. He is the one to make us right with God. Now I'll tell you the truth. This is good news and it's bad news. It's bad news because when we remember that Jesus is the high priest... We're reminded of our own sinful nature, the way we choose our own paths rather than God's ways, and how this separates us from God. We're reminded about what sometimes we call our bentness towards sin, like sin is easier and more fun often than choosing the right way. We're reminded that, that the wide path is easier than the narrow path of following Christ. We're reminded that we don't do what we should do and we do what we shouldn't do. We're reminded of whatever temptation you thought of earlier. The bad news is that we can't make it to God on our own. He is too holy and we are too sinful. But the good news is Jesus. Jesus stands between us and God and he makes a way for us to re-commune with God. And if you've ever felt distant from God, Maybe that is because you need to know Christ. Maybe that's because you need to know the mediary, the the man who was and is God. And if you're sensing that, this is something really to reach out to a pastor about. If you're curious what knowing Christ is, because we can't make it to God all by ourselves. We need Jesus to go between us and God. We need Jesus to represent us. Second, Remembering Jesus as the high priest can help us to pray. I I know that some of us struggle with prayer. It kind of seems hard and weird, like you're just talking into the air, and you're not getting that nice feedback of someone nodding along and going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? We wonder maybe if God hears us or if our prayers do any good, but remember, because Jesus is our high priest, we never pray alone Jesus is praying for us, and he's praying with us. And and it's prayer itself, if you're starting out with prayer, for you to just say, Jesus, my high priest, I know you're praying for us now. I know you're praying for me now before the Father. Would you guide my prayer today? Jesus, would you teach me to pray? That's a great start. So that's the second point. And third... So remember that when there's a high priest and when there's a great high priest, that means that there are other priests. You know what I'm saying? 
Aaron wasn't the only priest. His son were also priests. So if there's a great high priest, that means there's other priests. And you know who those priests are? They are not your pastors alone. That's why in the Protestant church we're called pastors, not priests. We affirm the priesthood of all believers. All y'all are priests. Jesus is a great high priest, and all y'all are priests. I, I was grew up in Georgia. I can say that once in a while, okay? Peter wrote, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood. That you is plural. It's kind of like we're miniature priests under Jesus. There's a story I love from the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. If you're unfamiliar with this, I'm going to have to just tell you what happened first. So there is a man from the tribe of Ephraim and his wife Hannah. And Hannah doesn't have any children. And she's really sad and grieving that. And and she would pray and offer sacrifices every year at the tabernacle And she made a promise to God that if he would remember her and if he would give her the gift of a child, she wouldn't keep him. She'd give him back to the Lord. And God hears Hannah's prayers. She becomes pregnant, and and she has a son who she names Samuel. And after Samuel stops nursing when he was probably two or three, she takes him to the house of the Lord to serve with the priests. You know, it's interesting. Samuel was not a priest. He was not of the tribe of Levi. He was not appointed, really. But he serves the Lord in a priestly way with the others. And then there's this little tiny detail in the text. Every year, Hannah sews a miniature priestly robe for her son because he's a sort of miniature apprentice priest. We think about this. Sewing was hard work back then. There were no sewing machines. You couldn't go to Joanne's and buy needles. They had to be made out of bone, I think. But every year, she'd make this little miniature priestly garment for her son, a bigger one every year, as he grew up. Imagine her joy when she went to visit him at at seeing her son all dressed up like the priests he was serving with, learning to love God, learning to listen to him, which if you know the story, Samuel was very good at learning to walk in his ways. And I think this might be like us. We worship the high priest Jesus who represents us and prays for us. And we too, in our own small ways, wear these little priestly robes, growing into a spiritually bigger one as we mature in Christ. We're like priests too, representing God to people, as we tell the story of Jesus to others and representing people to God as we pray and intercede for those who don't know Christ. We're little priests too. It is such good news that Jesus is the great high priest. I hope you found that today. It is so reassuring to know that he is representing us right now in the presence of God. He is praying right now for us. And I don't know what else we can do but pray to our great high priest in response. So I invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give some space here for you to, to verbalize or just think in your mind.
thanksgiving for Jesus, confession for sin and our need for him as an inter intermediary, and power from the Spirit to serve as the little miniature priests that we have been called to. Let's pray. Jesus, our great high priest, we thank you for your work. We wish you could see you, but we realize that even though you're present with us through the Holy Spirit, you are physically present as you mediate our relationship with God in the heavenly realm. Jesus, you are busy representing us. We are so thankful that we don't have to represent ourselves because we know would fail. Jesus, we lift up our thanksgivings to you right now. Jesus, we can't represent ourselves because we've sinned. We've chosen our own ways rather than your way. We've allowed distractions and other loves to grow in our lives and become more important than you. We have all been deeply tempted, as we named in our minds earlier. By your spirit, Jesus, grow us and mature us through your grace and mercy, forgive our sins. And we bring our confession and our prayer for grace and mercy to you right now. Jesus, it's only through you that we can go to that throne of grace. It's only by your great mercy, by your death and resurrection and ascension that we can be truly reconciled to God. And so we thank you for your work on our behalf. And finally, Jesus, we want to follow in your model. We want to be the little priests. We want to tell God about others as we lift them up in prayer. And we want to tell others about you because you are God and you make the way to the Father. By your spirit, would you equip us to be the priests you've called us to be? May we walk with dignity in this identity, all of us, to do the good work you've called us to do as, high as little priests, whether it's in our home, in our work, in our schools, with our family members, with our neighbor, neighbors and neighborhoods. Jesus, equip us to be the priests you have called us to be. And we know we are only able to pray these things in your name because you are our great high priest. Amen. We'll continue in worship by singing hymn number 300 together. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. <laughs>